We are continuing our Learning from Abraham series, and uh, we are going to jump right into the scripture context, and we're picking up in Genesis chapter 20, verse, starting in verse 1, and this is, this is right after Sodom and Gomorrah has been destroyed. Um, there's a whole chapter... There's a whole chapter that we see um, Lot and his interaction with the angels and what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but we, we're really going to just take time to focus on Abraham and uh, kind of like the, the after effects. So in Genesis chapter 20, verse 1 through 2, it says, Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he lived for a time in Gerar and Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent men and took Sarah. I want to pause here and I want us to really unpack uh, an idea here. And that is count the cost. Count the cost. And within this point, I want us to unpack a concept, which is you should always weigh out your risks and rewards when making a big life change. You should always weigh out your risks and rewards when making a big life change. We, we, when reading this, we aren't really told why Abraham moves in this moment. If you remember, the, uh, Abraham was in this last location for more than 10 years, so long so that him and Lot separated and settled in the land. And we know that he's, uh, we know that God told him that he'll have a son in about a year. So remember, the scene was he's in this land that he's been for over 10 years, they settled there, and then God says, around this time next year, you're going to have a son. So why move all of a sudden? We, we haven't seen him move around. Why all of a sudden? In this moment, we see that Abraham moved. It, he put stress and complications onto his family and marriage all right before a new baby. This is all right before a new baby. To be told you're going to have a baby in a year and, and then make all, a big life change, I, I think that's kind of sometimes a natural reaction from us as men. We try to, to like nesting kind of idea. But I believe that it's the, the reason is because of the sight and the stench of the now-burned Sodom and Gomorrah. I think that this is really the biggest motivation for Abraham to want to move and be in a different area for this new baby. Earlier, we read about how Abraham could see these cities from the, uh, from the land where he was stationed himself in. So I remember, when he, even when he was divvying up land for Lot, they went on the, the high hill of which they were living, and Lot looked over and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah and decided to settle in that land. And so you could see Sodom and Gomorrah from where Abraham was settled. While I'm, I'm sure that there is some, uh, not only could you see Sodom and Gomorrah right there, I'm sure that there is some fear, even among his household, of being so close to a place that was just so violently destroyed by what appeared to be this, this uh, super extinction event. And I think that the sight, uh, the sight of this being right, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the idea of uh, w uh, wanting to stay living in a neighborhood where the neighborhood right over just had a tornado, like that destroyed the whole neighborhood. It, it kind of just feels unsettling to see the destruction right there. I'm like, well, I'm glad that 
you know, we didn't get anything, but it would still feel unsettling to everybody in his household. But I think what was more unsettling is that the, the sheer sight and the smell of Sodom and Gomorrah that made Abraham want to leave. I'm sure it was unsettling to see this mass graveyard of burnt bodies and bones. And not to mention that just living next to this, uh, imagine just living next to a dump. I, if you've ever lived next to a dump, you can smell it within the neighborhood. Um, and even just living next to a dump can pierce your nose, let alone living next to a giant open human barbecue pit. You ever been driving through a neighborhood and like, ooh, someone's barbecuing? Imagine just knowing that that barbecue in, the, uh, in your neighborhood is human flesh and it just won't go away. I think that it was hard for Abraham to feel peace like before now that he had this unsettling aroma and this sight so close to him every day. So the way that he felt pushed him to leave the area and settle somewhere else because of the way this place made him feel. And keep in mind that Abraham valued life. It, Abraham didn't uh, just see this as like, oh, well, they're all a bunch of wicked people anyway. He valued life. And even when he was uh, interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah before God, we see how, how he was compassionate and how much he valued uh, people. And so now that we understand that his what his motive could have been, we should consider what kind of stress goes into moving just in today's day and age. Uh, uh, me and my wife, we've moved about a dozen times. And especially now that we ha every uh, now that we have kids, it makes it exponentially harder. We've only moved once after having our first baby. When we, it was just me and her being uh, without kids, we moved like ten other times. It was uh, even though it was still hard. It's uh, the idea of moving is a stressful event. It's a stressful event, especially if someone in your family is pregnant. Now. If we don't know how long that uh, Abraham stayed in this area before he decided to move. But consider this, that this is before moving trucks. This is before boxes. This is before tape. This is before any kind of modern luxuries that we have today to move. And Abraham has hundreds of hired hands that, uh, that live in his settlement. There's cattle, people, belongings, a young children, his own young child, and an early pregnant wife with morning sickness traveling on donkeys. Okay, this is not an easy move, and it was not necessarily at the best time. Now, uh, while, while this didn't break Abraham's marriage, putting this kind of stress on his family, is I think that we could see that it strained it. Because we see later in the story, Sarah talks a lot with a lot sharper of a tone to Abraham than we see compared in earlier chapters. In earlier chapters, we see that Sarah shows so much respect to Abraham that she calls him Lord. But just a couple chapters later, we see Sarah telling him uh, after Isaac is born, uh, uh, it, you better do something about your other son. He's not going to stay here with my baby. Like just kind of giving, uh, it, there's just such a sharper tone in the way that she talks to him in the in the in high stress situations compared to before. She's like, "Whatever you say, Abraham," and I believe that it shows. It shows that a little, 
uh, and I think it shows a little carryover of stress from the difficult things that she has agreed to over the years. While certain things were inevitable, there were also plenty of things that could have waited or been at better times that Abraham decided to do. And the, the takeaway that I'm wanting to make with this is that we should, be, uh, we should count the cost of our decisions, not only for ourselves, but for our families, our marriages, for everything that is connected to us. Because everything that we decide to do, we put them in a place to endure through it. We put them in a place to endure through it. It doesn't mean that we, we don't make hard decisions or never take risks. But what I am saying is it does mean to critically think about whether or not your family is ready to endure it or if it is the right time to do it. And we should better prepare our mindset and our emotions when making big moves, knowing that our families and our marriages will feel it and have different kind of reactions along the way. We shouldn't be surprised if, uh, if people feel more emotional three months after we make a big, uh, a big decision. If it, it feels like there's some uh, unspoken tension, it shouldn't surprise us because we just put a lot of stress on our family. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Uh, a big, I think a big point where I would reference this in my personal life, I realized this at, uh, in the beginning of the year 2020. And uh, is with uh, the old job, uh, an old job that I had, um, in which an old job that I had, where uh, we they had everyone take they had everyone take like a, a stress test inventory, uh, and it ex it pretty much had a list of all these different life events that could happen uh, in one within a 12 month span, and you add up all these life events together and, and to see what your score would be, and if you had over like say um, I don't know, like 300, then you have like a 20% chance of having your stress affect your actual physical body. And if you made like 600, uh, you had an 80% chance of, <laughs> of having so much stress affect your physical health. Well, I took this test and I just out of curiosity, I, I, I took it for three years time. And so I, I looked at uh, 12 months for three different years and I realized that out of all the decisions that I made for our family, that a lot, some of them were preventable and some of them were not. But what I, what I found out was that we scored like the max amount, <laughs> like over 600 uh, for me and my wife for uh, three or four years straight. And it, it was a, a moment where I realized like, man, maybe that's why I've been battling anxiety. <laughs> maybe that's why I'm having these random panic attacks at night that I thought came out of nowhere. But it was because I've been enduring all this stress, putting it on my family, putting it on myself, to where uh, it, there's certain things that I could have prevented the extra stress. And now it is affecting my physical health. It, and it's like, uh, it's just a moment where I realized, man, uh, I should take a couple of years to be preventable. And so I, I said, we're not going to move for at least two, uh, two to three years. Even if we, you know, we really want to get out of this place, we're going to wait at least two to three years because we need to take a break from all the stress that we've been putting on. And I've been making decisions like that. I'm telling you, ever since I recognized that, just like in this story, there's there's a different atmosphere in the home. And so, again, it doesn't mean that everything, uh, everything is preventable. There's some things that are inevitable, but we should count 
the cost. Always weigh your risks and rewards when making big life changes. Now let's continue on with the story. In uh, the next verses of chapter 20, verses 3 through 13, it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night. Remember, Abimelech had chickened Sarah because he thought that Sarah is simply Abraham's sister, when in fact it is his wife, and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you kill a nation even though blameless did he himself not say to me that she is my sister and she herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart in the innocence of my hands i have done this then god said to him in the dream yes i know that in uh, that in the integrity of your heart that you have done this and i also kept you from sinning against me therefore i did not let you touch her now then return the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all you who are uh, yours. So Abimelech got up early in the morning and called all of his servants. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? Uh, uh, sorry, I, I skipped a verse. And told all the, the things in their presence of the servants. And the people were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And have, uh, have, how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my ki kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the kindness which you will show me. Everywhere we go, say to me that he is my brother. So let's pause here. Really peculiar uh, scenario. Within this uh, passage, I want us to, to pull the point on check yourself. Check yourself. And... I want us to unpack this concept. You will embarrass yourself when you judge others with no context. You will embarrass yourself when you judge others with no context. I feel that this is probably one of the most embarrassing moments for Abraham. It doesn't take away for who he was as a man of God, but it, it was simply a moment in which he was simply wrong. He lied and everybody knew about it. His decision to lie was based in, in fears, but is also based in his judgments about people. Uh, I want us to really kind of understand this. Focusing on the way that he saw people, this is really unpacking his worldview formed over time through his experiences and what he has witnessed. Notice that this verse says, that when he entered this place, that he said, surely there's no fear of God in this place. But we see that Abimelech was actually a follower of God. And uh, he was an integritous man. And so Abraham made a judgment about a place without really knowing the place. And he, he just left. Uh, I want us to understand that that his, uh, his worldview about people is formed through his experiences and what he has witnessed. Okay? Keep in mind, Abraham just left an area 
that had its neighboring cities completely destroyed by fire because of its wickedness. It's not like he's just been living in a cave, like uh, secluded from the 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 real wickedness and dangers of the world. Like this was just his neighbors that were destroyed because of their wickedness. He saw this brutal thrashing of fire across the city. He and he has traveled nearly all of his life. Think about this for a moment. He traveled nearly all of his life and he's seen he has been a lot of places and he has seen a lot of people just for even some of you i know for me after seeing so much darkness around because there's plenty of darkness in the world that's just a fact that the world is inherently uh it has an inherent sin an inherent darkness about it and it's easy to develop a pessimistic outlook on people when you go through this kind of darkness for so long, when you journey, when you when you see it, when you witness it, when you experience it, you just start to develop a pessimistic outlook on people in general. And he had he had reasons to assume that this place was godless. So I want us to understand that that his experiences, what he's gone through, is the reason why he assumed this place was godless. But his reasons still didn't make his judgments right or accurate. His his judgments, his the reasons for his judgments didn't make them right or accurate. It, and this is a I think this is a really big part for for us as men especially because we are perceptive beings. We perceive things around us and it's very it shows us that we should look at people we meet in a fresh light. We should look at people that we meet in a fresh light, unconnected to the people we've met in the past. Let me say that again. It sounds really simple, but let me say it again. We should look at people with a fresh light, unconnected to the people we've met in the past. This applies to church, churches, There's so many people that will not step foot into a church because they went to a toxic church. It's not it's not fair. That's not a right judgment. Uh, It's the same for unbelievers. There's uh, there's such a stigma that uh, some Christians have made about like if they're if someone's an unbeliever that they're like a worse sinner. There might be I've seen Christians that struggle with more sins than people who are unbelievers. People in certain jobs. Uh, not everybody at the DMV is a mean old lady. <laughs> I know that <laughs> that's really funny to me. But it, it, even in people in certain jobs, especially when it comes to race and nationality, I mean, I, I really believe that um, I really believe that uh, racism is is one of the biggest pushes of of government officials to produce division, but. There, there has been. Are not only is there such a history of racism, but there's such a projection of racism. It's two things being projected at once, and I, every individual has the right to be independent of another individual's history. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Let me say that again. Every single individual, regardless of their race or nationality, has the right to be independent of a. Uh, another person's uh, another individual's history it takes maturity to realize and accept that otherwise 
uh, if we don't, we will be embarrassed like Abraham, who, while being caught in a lie, something ungodly, think about that, Abraham, while being caught in a lie, uh, which is something ungodly, was accusing people he didn't even know of being ungodly. And yet we see that they end up showing, high, in this single scene, they showed higher integrity than Abraham. And yet he was the one accusing them blindly. I, I think it's, uh, it, it really goes to show that you will embarrass yourself when you judge others with no context. And I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to project that we should be naive or gullible or anything. What I am saying is that this story shows us that we don't know everything. Let's go on into our last point, and that is finishing up this story in verses 14 through 18. It says, Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Look, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. That's a sarcasm applied. It is your vindication before all who are with you and before everyone you are cleared. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his, and his wife and his female slaves so that they gave birth to children. For the Lord had completely closed all of the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, within this last point, I want us to, uh, uh, the, this point is going to be called beyond. Called beyond. And I want us to unpack this idea that your calling doesn't end at your mistakes. Your calling does not end at your mistakes. One of the most interesting things about this story is the fact that even though Abraham was wrong, he was in the wrong, he still had the authority God had already given him. God still called him a prophet, and Abimelech's household was still healed and blessed because of Abraham's prayer. Think about that for a moment. On top of all that, Abraham was blessed even though he acted unjustly. He was blessed even though he acted unjustly. The point that I'm trying to make in this last uh, part is that Abraham's mistake didn't erase his calling. And it didn't erase his blessing. Nor did it erase all of the good that Abraham had done. His one mistake didn't erase all of that. We should be encouraged knowing that God's calling on your life isn't so flippant. It's not just given and taken away so easily. But rather, it is something solid and stronger than our own humanity. This doesn't mean that we throw off all restraints, but it should encourage you to know to not give up after just a mistake. Every time that you fall, you should simply get back up and try again. Don't disqualify yourself from God's grace. His calling on your life is beyond our best days as well as our worst days. And with that last, that last point, I want you to just take a moment to consider for yourself where, where you stand with God. Where you stand with God. And when I say that God's grace is stronger than our, our humanity, that his, his calling on your life is beyond your best days and your worst days, 
it really is summed up in the grace in Jesus Christ, the mercy in Jesus Christ, that we are we are not saved by our works. There's no way not even Abraham was able to be perfect. And and here we are literally pulling uh, dissecting his life just for, because he was such a great man. It shows that no one is able to be perfect and that we need a savior. And if you have never made a, a an actual decision, an actual choice to follow Jesus, to make him the savior to your soul. Maybe you've been believing that you can earn uh, God's grace somehow by being a good enough person. It's just not possible. It is only a free gift by Jesus Christ. And if you want to do that today, the Bible says that all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead. And if you have that uh, an authentic heart and simply talk to him yourself, you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer, you're able to have that conversation with him. Uh, I, I encourage you to do that today. Don't don't let another day go by, but really make a real decision. Even write the day down. The day that I made that decision was January twenty seventh, uh, two thousand ten. It was it was the it was the day where I really made a decision to go all in with Jesus. And I encourage you to make that monumental change, that monumental step. Now, all that being said, let's pray. God, I think for this moment that we had to uh, talk about your word. And I pray that as we enter this feedback time that you would continue to minister to our hearts, speak to us, and help us to better uh, to edify one another as we share. In Jesus' name, amen.